John MacArthur, he said, there's something desperately wrong when an unbeliever feels comfortable in the church. Heaven's not coming down. The world is coming in. The church ought to be so unlike the world. That's not to say that we don't welcome non-believers into the church, but when they're comfortable sitting underneath the teaching week after week after week without conviction coming their way, then there's a problem. But listen, we we should be welcoming non-believers and seekers alike inside of our church every week. Hey, Paulie, get over here. Hey, Paulie, take a look at this. <laughs> Forget about it. So you don't even work on these accents. You just go for it. I just do it. Can you guys tell I just got back from New York? Oh, yeah. How was your trip? That's Philly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not Philly. That's New York. Get out of here. Forget no, about pa- Paulie, it. Paulie. That, Rocky's from Philly. Hey, Paulie, get over here. <laughs> oh, man. I'm telling you guys, one of the highlights of the trip to New York was hearing New York accents. That is great, isn't it? It's almost unreal. Yeah. It's very different. And, you know, you'll meet your gamut of the, the real thick ones and the light ones, but the thick ones, like... It's always like the taxi driver with the thick, with the thick New York accent. <laughs> they're always they're, com- they're confident sounding people. They sound confident, yeah. you know. It's, and it's, uh, yeah, they are confident, assertive. They get all the forget. <laughs> and they're not being upset, right? They're just communicating they're just with you. Yeah. They're raising their voice. They're animated. They're excited. They're but I love it. So I, uh, what? That's the process of evolution with the pressure of New York living. Yeah, <laughs> get like that. That's what Survival. I was thinking about. You know, in the course of this trip, is how does that develop? And I think I have a bit of a theory because... Oh, when the pilgrim stepped onto the... Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> I couldn't even know an accent. <laughs> was that an Indian accent? I don't know where I went with that. That was awful. Anytime Ray does an you're accent... You're a New Yorker, Ray. You, what, do you, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> Everything Ray okay, now does. Okay, do, now, do we'll now do a Southern... An Indian yeah, accent. Here we am, down in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> down in Kentucky. Oh, man. So, yeah, it's fascinating. But I think that... You gotta think about it, right? You have New Yorkers that'll say water. Give me water? some water. Water. Yeah, water. Well, that's water. closer. I think the East Coast would be closer to the English accent, because right, water. that's where it all started. Yeah. And then as they went west, it they you just know got weird. Now I'm convinced that the Californian accent is the well, right. It's definitely the superior. Yeah, well, it's the <laughs> American. It would be if the word like was dropped. We'd better say everything 10 times quicker, like totally. <laughs> totally. So you listen to the average teenager. I'm not exaggerating. Within three minutes, there's like 50 likes. Like they just can't yeah, help like, saying like. like. I don't like, know where they're totally happening. Like. like. Someone was telling me this morning that Californians, we enunciate like all of our words. What do you mean? Yeah. What Could do you, you mean? So I'm going to go over to the park right now and just hang out. We're in New York. They say, I'm going to go over to the park. Just hang out over there. Yeah. We have our own dialect, though, too. We don't realize. Like, we're the only people that call our freeway the five. Oh, they don't do that? Yeah. Normally, people will say, like, oh, yeah, you got to jump on Interstate 13. Oh, yeah, they it's do say Interstate 13. It's called the five. five. It's the 13. <laughs> the 405. Yeah, that's So true. while we're talking accents on that subject, we got a, an email from someone called Justin who said this. 
You can tell you truly care and are long-time friends. Please keep making these and saving the loss. This is regarding a podcast. Also, I want to thank Ray for his patience while Easy continues to do poor imitations of Ray's New Zealand accent. Thank you, thank you. Thank we you. sent him a stack of free evidence Bibles. Our yes. brother is misled. No, he's getting an evidence Bible for the because of a spirit of discernment. Uh, forget about it. I like how Easy didn't read that one, by the way. Yeah, yeah. just get to right yes, over that one. There are some that are not worthy to. We be should read. send an evidence Bible. Let Ray pay for it. To the best <laughs> comment out there that really moves us and that is spoken. Oh yeah, an I'd evidence Bible without the cover. That'd be nice. By the way, we are at like nine hundred and ninety something reviews yes. on Apple. So if you guys we are have listening more on Spotify. now, we have more on Spotify. Well, yep. if you're listening now, you could be our one thousandth review if you go on to the Apple platform right now and leave a five-star review. Do and- it. And a comment because we read comments, as I will do now. This is one with a subject that says, love this. I am a 14-year-old and listen to this all the time. You guys gave me the desire to grow in Christ when I saw Ray and Mark open air preach on YouTube. Thank you so much. And this is from Jesus is King 333. How cool. I think recently I read one from a 16-year-old. So we got a 14-year-old. Teenagers, man. We're going to have like a (laughs) three-month-old before we know (laughs) it. it. We have the size of a three-year-old on our panel. Oh, Stop it. Who's that? <laughs> Ray, hey, I did not happened? say your name. Why do you assume? What happened no, the no. Name? Whoever it is you're talking about, stop it. <laughs> Sue was furious at Mark the other day. What she happened? Was, she was, she that was, was tongue upset. in cheek. That was tongue in cheek. I was hiding behind the pool I saw table. you hiding. Why? So, what did you do, Mark? Well, Mark was on a video. He can't even remember it, but he demeaned me and just talked about how tiny I am. And when I left, the guy didn't see me leave because I was walking between people's legs. That's how short I am. And I told Sue, she says, I'm going to talk to Mark about this. Oh, then anyway, she better we're, not. We're going to, I think Eddie's given us the clip. It's going to be on our television program, and Eddie wants us to comment on it. So I've got some great <laughs> Well, then Sue better not read what Ken Ham says oh, about your stature. Yes. <laughs> He'd and be in you. trouble. Easy, why don't you read the meme you sent Ken about wives this morning? You no, chicken. no, let's... Uh, you chicken. <laughs> <laughs> let's keep going. Well, just here. tell us then. We'll yeah, just yeah. tell us. Here, yeah. let me push the Do you want me to read it? Yeah. Go ahead. What was it saying? Oh, we'll talk about that later. Hey, forget about it. Forget about it. All right. Guys, today we're talking about why today's cool churches are very uncool. Just before we get to that, I'd like to talk about our thumbs, just because I've got something to say thumbs? about thumbs. Something to, to say. I've never appreciated thumbs before. I was peeling a squash the other day for dinner, and I peeled my thumb and took, <laughs> half, and took half the nail no, off. No, Ray, you did and not. And I have been almost useless. I can't do buttons up. I can't undo buttons because thumbs are just so incredible. You mean we, because you sliced your thumb? Yeah, we take them for granted. I mean, familiarity breeds contempt, and anything we see in front of us, we don't see anything as much as we see our hands. Mm. We're so familiar and we don't even think about how incredible the hands are. I've just been thinking about it, how we've got 10 digits to remind us of the 10 commandments. We've got thumbs to say thumbs up. There's so many <laughs> things we do with our thumbs and I'm just so grateful to God for this little yeah, thumb. Save the back of your hand to correct easy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean... What yeah. do they what do they call them? Opposing thumbs and them opposing and, and yeah. it's mirrored. You, you, these are twins. They look exactly <laughs> identical twins. It's like but Ray you just discovered his hands for the <laughs> first time. 
What? <laughs> you just, you just discovered, discovered your hands, hands for the first time. Yes, I just saw them this morning. What are these things on the end of my arms? <laughs> okay, but what would life be like without thumbs? Though? Oh, be, I just want you guys to get a handle. What couldn't you do? That, yeah, I should tape my thumb up. Yeah, that would be weird. Yeah. He's <laughs> trying to pick up his water bottle right now. It. Yeah, oh, so thank God for thumbs. Yeah, so it's amen. just something to think about. Something to think about. That'd be a good track. That, right? That's got to be like a segment on the podcast. Something to think about. Hey, forget about it. Okay, so today we're talking about the cool, the cool churches, the cool preachers, which unfortunately oftentimes end up in the false teacher and false churches category. Guys, this is a pandemic today. We talked recently about Jonathan Edwards. I'm imagining a guy like him preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God and then walking out of his church and seeing just all of a sudden as if though he popped in from this modern age, one of the cool modern preachers of our time with all the games and the gimmicks. And what would he think? Oh, you think it's a rock concert. <laughs> Basically, right? Yeah. So guys, let's talk about that I mean, today. he wouldn't hear the Bible preach, so maybe he would just assume he's not even at church. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good point, right? I mean, you think about that in terms of how far things have gone. So, yeah, well, let's talk about that. What's the problem, Oscar? Well, we probably need to define what we mean by cool. Is it the way they dress? Is it the way they put on their church services, if you can even call them that? I would say, ultimately, what is the focus of these individuals? Because I, I have a fear, even though I don't know them individually, I have this concern that their singular focus is not the name and fame of Jesus, but the name and fame of their own selves. You get the sense that they're obsessed with self-glory, with how many people are listening to them, following them. I mean, you even hear stories of some of these pastors selling VIP experiences to meet and greet the pastor after the service. Like, that celebrity culture absolutely destroying what church is supposed to be. Yeah. And so, you know, I heard someone once say that Christianity is not about relevance, rather about reverence, mm. reverence for God, reverence for his glory. And when you stand up as a preacher to preach God's word, if your singular focus is not the glory of Christ— Man, you need to find somebody to confess and repent to. Yeah. Because you're leading people astray. Right. Ray, it ends up leading to, to false teaching like I talked about. Wouldn't you say that a big part of the elements within the modern church today where we hear the false teaching is because these pastors want to be cool, which means to be accepted by people, which means you don't want to step on toes and say the hard things. Well, it's a messed up agenda. I mean, what is the agenda of the church? Is to reach the lost. How do we do that? We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How do these churches do it? They think they've got to attract all the world into the church mm-hmm. to hear... Whoa! <laughs> to hear someone thumping on the roof. We're having mm-hmm. construction done here. Or an earthquake. <laughs> that that was really like sure. an earthquake, wasn't it? It was like a good roll. Yeah. Yeah, so Jesus had gone to all the world, preached the gospel of every creature. What they think that is, is get all the world to come in. So we have to look like the world yeah. to get the world to come in, to make them feel comfortable. Well, once they're in, you get them with what you 
save them with mm. and you keep them what you save them with. If they are saved because they like cool music, you've got to keep the cool yeah. music yeah. and you can't say things that offend. And there's a whole stack of things that offend the world. Exclusivity of Christ, the preaching of hell, what sin is, opening up what sin is. It's sexual sin. It's abortion. It's homosexuality. Those things are going to offend and they don't want to offend the world that comes into the church. They look like the world and act like the world and the world comes in and I think it's still worldly. Yeah. Right. You know, to your point, Ray, that there's a lot of pastors that are more interested in creating fans and social media followers than converts and disciples, that they're more interested in what somebody who's following them on a social media platform has to say than what the Lord has to say concerning a message that was delivered on Sunday or what a family, an individual is going through inside their church. Right, They'd be more interested in trying to create content for people that they are unfamiliar with than what, like I said, than what, what a church is going through. Right. You know, I've often said, it was said to me, and it stuck with me. Say it again, Mark. Uh, I'm going to say it again if I can. <laughs> say you, know, you cannot impress people with Jesus when you're still trying to impress them with yourself. Right? We need to get over ourselves. There's no such thing as a cool Christian. You know, God already has gotten over you. You need to get over yourself, right? So... We need to be careful with this, right? Because there's obviously nothing wrong with having followers and having social media and having these aspects. We reach the lost. We reach the saved. These are good elements. And, you know, Google can be a good friend of yours if Google is used correctly. But when used wrongly, when you find yourself Googling your name more than you're Googling perhaps how to properly exegete a text, then you have a problem. Hey, listener, have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has a hundred dollars. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. I don't know if Google can help you exegete a text, but <laughs> Ray, you hit on something which I totally think is true. Rarely you say something that I think is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, these churches are trying to buy into the consumer experience. Right. And we are, as Americans, obsessed with consumerism. And it does start, it's not just the pastors, but it starts in the pews too. People look at church as this consumeristic experience where they're like, well, I went to this church, but I didn't like the singing. So I went to this church and the music was a little too loud. So I went to this church and the pews were too wooden. So I started going to this church. So we go to church with the consumeristic experience. We want something very specific. And then these churches rise up and instead of pushing against consumerism, they adopt it and adhere to it. And what ends up happening is these churches are built like malls or like concert halls 
or movie theaters where they want to give you the consumer experience, which ultimately what's happening there is now at the center of their worship is not God, but self. It's what? Popcorn. Popcorn. It's not (laughs) God, it's self. Because consumerism is the glory of self. Entertain me, make me laugh, make me feel comfortable, make me feel cool. That's the singular mindset. And here's the challenge. And this is why these churches are now shrinking in size is because a church will never be able to outperform culture yeah. because the culture has way bigger budgets. And if ultimately you draw them in with a consumer experience, they're going to be entertained for a little bit, but they're going to find something way more entertaining later mm-hmm. and they're going to go away. Yeah. And Francis Schaefer said, tell me what the world is saying today and I'll tell you what the church will be saying in seven years. We've often said that easy when it comes to England and Europe. You want to see what America is going to be like in 10 years? Well, just go visit Europe and see how things are happening there. Maybe the disdain for the church or just a lack of curiosity what scripture has to say. Yeah. And the tragedy with Europe is that you're seeing churches now turned into pubs and mosques and it's heartbreaking, but that's the thing. You know, you think about the great awakening that we talked about recently, and these preachers were preaching the hard messages. And, you know, when you think about when Jesus and his disciples went out on that missionary journey that we see in Mark 6 and Matthew 9, it says they preached everywhere that people should repent. And I think that's the salient thing that's completely devoid of the modern gospel. You rarely hear these cool preachers stand up and say, repent, Hmm. highlight sins, touch on them. Oscar, you talked about consumerism. I think the one thing that we fail to recognize too is the consumerism also exists on the preacher side. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times the preachers are consumers and they're looking to get from the people the buzz that comes from adulation and from the praise of man and so forth. Ravenhill said one of the most convicting things that I've ever heard in my life when talking about preaching, and it often comes to my own mind. He said, too often preachers have become fishers of compliments from yeah. men rather than fishers of men. Wow. Oh, I am glad to say that. I think you're a great host. Oh, thank you, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Repent. <laughs> See, you can enjoy it and also call people to repentance. Yeah, so there's that element there of wanting to get from from people. And then I think, and then it begins to feed itself. Now the preacher's got to do more to get the people's praise, you Mm -hmm. know, and the people got to praise the preacher more to get more of what they want to consume, you know, and it just becomes this, this horrible tragedy. One of my favorite books on preaching talked about that because it, it pointed out that not only do these like consumeristic preachers, they're afraid of preaching sin, but even some of the more, let's call them conservative preachers, will only preach sin against the culture and not sin in the hearts of the people. Mm. And so it pointed out that ultimately a preacher, its underlying message is there's sin out there, but we're safe here. It's the first one. Or there's sin in other churches, but you're safe at this church. When the gospel requires you to preach towards the sin of the hearts of the people in the pews. And I remember being at a church that was, the pastor came from a very respected college here in Southern California. He followed and liked all the right authors and books, but he was talking about idolatry. And he gets up to the pulpit and he starts talking about how Muhammad is a false God and Buddha is a false God and how he went to India and he saw all these false gods. And he wasn't wrong. He's totally right. Those are the false gods of the world that are out there. But in my mind, I thought to myself, you're in Orange County. 
Half these people showed up in their Mercedes Benz. Another half of them live in gated communities. You could be preaching to the hearts of the people, but instead they're going to walk away going, man, great one. You really got booted today, didn't you, Pastor? Yeah. You know, so we have to be careful because that consumer mindset that the pastor looks for, they tend to avoid preaching sin to their own people. Yeah. Izzy, would you say these trendy churches are synonymous with prosperity preachers? Or is there something different? I think that they do overlap in some ways, for sure. But I think that you'll get some of these churches that don't necessarily preach prosperity directly, but they give you the feel-good and, again, the the modern kind of light-touch type message versus hey, this is the counsel of God. This is what God's word says. This, these are the issues we need to deal with. And again, I'm not talking about someone that, ha- that is beating the sheep over the head. I'm talking about a gracious, winsome communication of uncompromising truth. There are gonna be times when you'll preach a message and you're hitting on the grace of God or the mercy of God or the compassion of Christ. But if that's all you preach, you've got a lopsided message and you'll end up with a lopsided church. So I started following some of these celebrity pastors because I wanted to see what... Like just stalking their, them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> going no, left, turn left. left. Oscar pops up in their living room from behind <laughs> binoculars <laughs> and it just slowly goes back down. <laughs> no, I, I started following them on social media because I wanted to see like, what is it that they're doing? What is their message about? And... The best way that I can describe it is that it's like a Christianized Tony Robbins, Mm. where like what they're preaching is how to be more influential. You think everyone knows who Tony Robbins is? Uh, Tony Robbins is a celebrity... Self-help guru. Self-help guru, um, yeah. Motivational speaker. There you go. Motivational speaker. He's the guru of motivational speakers. Yeah, he is. He's a top. And so these guys are basically Christianized versions of Tony Robbins, where like their message is about increasing your influence towards entrepreneur. I bet entrepreneurs love these guys because they're all about like overcoming, you know, challenges to get to the next level. And so there's this sense where, again, it becomes about self-glory. Like, of course, I want to follow these guys because they make the world all about me. And they're going to give me the five steps. This Sunday, I'm going to get five steps about how to be a better businessman, how to take more control over my household, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not that the scriptures are void of practical knowledge like that. But the scriptures aren't primarily about practical knowledge about yeah. that. The scriptures are primarily about the glory of God. Yeah. And then they reproduce after their own kind. And right. the sheep inside the congregation are anemic. Yeah. Right. And you try to get engaged in any type of theological deep conversation. And they are just on the sidelines in the midst of the conversation. They, they cannot go very deep. And somebody once said, it's unknown, I couldn't find the author, Many who say our father on Sunday spend the rest of the week acting like orphans. Ooh. Because, you know, when the trials and the tribulation and things come their way, when a text comes up that would be perfect for a situation, they have no input. There is nothing that they can say. And they are left questioning and wondering and worried when the affairs of this world happen. You know, this is one of the reasons why I so appreciate John MacArthur and what he did during COVID and our brother Jack Hibbs, you yeah. know, there in Chino Hills, because they have spines. They, they stepped up when everybody else became silent. Right. 
when people have healthy pastors, there's healthy sheep, and they want to talk about the things of God in the midst of a culture, regardless of how tumultuous it is. Yeah. And you begin to see the side effects of this sort of modernized type preaching. You begin to see the sort of rejection of anything that contradicts their notion of who God is from what they've, they've learned or what they haven't been taught. Right. Like, for example, I put out a YouTube video through our ministry that's called Why Jesus Hates Justin Bieber's Song or this song by Justin Bieber. I can't remember the exact, exact title. Justin Bieber? <laughs> Girl, you know... No, that's not. <laughs> that's Bobby Brown. <laughs> Girl, you know it's true. I think that's Don't Bobby stop, Brown. keep going. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so it was just about one of his songs where he's talking about smoking weed and just foul this stuff. This is on his gospel album? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you exactly. took a lot of flack for that. I noticed a lot of people. Easy did. Really? Oh, yeah, I, I did. And one of the main comments that would resurface again and again, and I would go back and I, I would answer this one because I'm like, these people have to get it. But it was, Jesus would never hate anything. How dare you say that? Jesus never only has anything. love for everything. And again, I wasn't talking about Bieber. I said, why Jesus hates this song, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because it contradicts everything that his word stands for. But again, that notion of, oh, no, Jesus doesn't have any hate toward anything. He would never have it. Whereas, no, God God does have hatred. He does have wrath. It's a part of his well-balanced character. When you follow those preachers, you get the sense that Jesus is like this spiritual cheerleader. Yeah. There to like push you towards whatever your personal goals are. And while God is for you, ultimately, like we said before, the scriptures point towards the glory of God, not the glory of self. Let me ask you guys this question. What advice or counsel would you give people in regards to finding a good church? Like I know we've mentioned websites where you can find good churches before, but like the DNA of a church, how can we find a church that is pointed towards Christ. What what are some of those things that we look for? I'll go first. I mean, the first yeah. thing that comes to my mind easy would be a church that smoke signals, smoke screens, <laughs> smoke screens doesn't smoke. No, um, they teach the word of God, right? Yeah. They, they exposit the text. If you could find a church that goes from Genesis one one to Revelation twenty two twenty one, you found a good church. They just simply want to teach the text and allow the cards to fall where they may. You have a pastor that's doing it right because the text is going to apply to people in any and all situations. I mean, how many times have we just opened up the word and just went, that's like exactly what I'm going through. I mean, man, this applies to me. Well, that's what happens when you use the word of God much in the same way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A good expository preaching where they're going to exposit the text and churches that teach expositionally too, where they'll take you through the word. They'll go through whole entire books of the Bible and preferably preaching you know, through the word. Because when you're not properly expositing scripture, you're going to lead the people astray. They may get a good feel buzz, but it's not based on what... God's word says. There was one prosperity preacher, I think he took one of the verses in Psalms that says, and let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And he took this one verse and spun it. And he's talking about, and when your trial comes, say so. And when this happens, say so. Like it's telling you to say so. <laughs> I mean, that kind of madness. And it's obvious that you want so in this church is what it means. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spin it any which way. Ray, when you've spoken about the false teaching that's prevailed today within the church when it comes to the gospel. You always use the term modern gospel. Why is that? I think the modern gospel is seen in these churches we're talking about. It's like a 
the modern gospel can't be seen, it's preached, but we see the modern gospel in those churches. They're doing everything that the modern gospel promises, peace, joy, love, fulfillment, lasting happiness, no mention of sin, righteousness and judgment. I think these churches need to read Luke 15. If you read Luke 15, you see Jesus speak of seeking and save the lost in three parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, prodigal son, climaxing in the lost son. Well, what the world does, and this is what I think is the problem with the contemporary church, is that it avoids the pigsty of the prodigal son. What was it that brought the prodigal son to his senses? It was the revelation that his desires were for filthy pig food. So he goes back to his father and says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. Well, you avoid getting a sinner and pushing his face into that pigsty and saying, this is what your desires are for, they're unclean. The prodigal goes back to his father and instead of saying, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, take me on as your hired servant. He says, I've come back, Dad, because I've run out of money. You be my servant. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's the problem with these churches. Oh, wow. God becomes a servant to them and it's because they've never seen sin in its true light. Man, Ray, that's so good. That really puts the, the finger on on the problem because that is what it is, right? It's a egocentric, self-centered, serve me type of mentality. And that's why often you'll get people who will move on from church to church, as you touched on Oscar earlier. There's just this sort of, you're not meeting my needs, giving yeah. me what I want. Right, right. So I, I like this path we're on. So we talked about expositing God's word. I think another good mark of a, a healthy church versus the modern type cool church we're talking about, I think is a church that is full of servants in opposition to those that just want to be served. Mark, our church, Kindred Community Church here in Anaheim Hills in California, is big on serving. Uh, and I mean, heresy. Heretical <laughs> <laughs> servant. But, you know, our pastor is always beating that drum. And we have a church full of servants. It's, it's such a joy to see people sacrificing of their time, heart, and energy to serve God's people. And we've been beneficiaries of that. Like, I mean, just think of, for example, our kindred university, like where on Sunday morning you have like seminary level classes. And these are people giving up their time to do that. We've benefited from that. Oh, we sure have. I'd like to take it even a step further. I, I attended a church, just visited a church in Texas. Don't know too much about the church. A friend of mine said, hey, you need to come check it out. Shane and Shane are the worship pastors there at the church. I attended. And so I was there and I must've had three or four different people come up to me and say, uh, I don't think I've seen you. I don't recognize you. What's your name? Mm -hmm. It is a very big church. I think there was even a Starbucks in the lobby. I mean, it is such a big church. And I got into a conversation with somebody and they said, in order to become a member of the church, you must serve. Wow. It doesn't matter what your capacity is. It doesn't matter if you're in a wheelchair. It doesn't matter what your abilities are. You're serving to some degree. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I think more people should serve inside the churches and you become a member and you're going to see how you're going to affect your neighborhood. John MacArthur, he said, there's something desperately wrong when an unbeliever feels comfortable in the church. Heaven's not coming down. The world is coming in. The church ought to be so unlike the world. That's not to say that we don't welcome non-believers into the church, yeah. but when they're comfortable sitting underneath the teaching week after week after week without conviction mm -hmm. coming their way, then there's a problem. Yeah. But listen, we, we should be welcoming non-believers and seekers alike inside of our church every week. Yeah. Ray, wouldn't you say if a church is preaching the truth constantly and continually and touching on sin and repentance and the whole gamut, wouldn't you say that people will either eventually 
repent and get saved or leave? Yeah, leave. <laughs> yeah, the common denominator in a church that pleases God, I think, is a fear of the Lord. If you fear God, you'll tremble at his word. Yeah. You'll open his word with fear and trembling and preach it with fear and trembling and make sure people understand it. And when you don't fear God, you don't tremble at his word. And then it becomes, man, I was just talking to a girl yesterday. She's reading the Bible. She loves the Lord. She had all the right words. And I said, do you share your faith with the lost? She said, how would I know if someone's lost? Wow. That was her answer. Wow. How would I know? I have fellowship with Christians. And she says, I've been reading a good book, and it tells you how that if you're pleasing God, then he'll prosper you. Oh, no. And it just shows what the problem was. And mm. I said, that's a just self and greed. That appeals mm. to greed. And her eyes widened. And I said, you get before the Lord and ask him to give you a love for the lost, because all around you, people are going to hell. And if you don't care about them, you're guilty of depraved indifference. Wow. And uh, it was a good time. She accepted it really well. But that's the problem. We're a self-centered Laodicean church that's just consumed with, well, unconverted people. Yeah. So I think what the problem is, our churches are full of unconverted people who they're still on the throne. Yeah, mm -hmm. I just read this quote today. The problem with contemporary churches can be explained by the fact that members have never decided to follow Christ. Oh, Ooh. man. You know, you make a really good point. And I, I actually think when we look at the... Um, you'd have to say the person's name because this is a podcast. When you, Ray Comfort, you just want to hear me say that you made a really good Thank point. Thank you. I well, middle name, Ray Marshall. Raymond Marshall oh, Comfort. stop it. All right, um, listen, I saw you Marshall. pointing at me, and I thought, they don't know who you're pointing at. <laughs> yeah, Marshall is a, means a upholder of the law. Thank you. Oh, there you go. You know, there's a lot of numbers from data-driven numbers that are showing us that churches are on the decline in America. And a lot of that is true, and some of that is sad, but we've talked about this before. And some of it's good. Some of it's really good. I actually look at it and I think we should not be discouraged. We should be encouraged because ultimately what the scriptures tell us is that there's seasons where God is refining his people. It's like uh, he puts the gold in melted hot pots and all of the impurities burn away and what's left is a more refined, potent gold. And I see that that's what's happening in the church today. And as a matter of fact, one of the, one of the data points that they pointed out was that the big seeker friendly churches, the 20,000 people churches that are very loose with God's word, yeah. those are the ones that are even more on the decline, but the faithful, small conservative churches, those are actually on the incline. They are actually increasing in numbers. Now, they're not increasing in the same proportion as the big churches are declining. But to me, that's a sign that God is refining his church. And to go back to kind of where we, where we started in regards to what do we look for in a church, you mentioned church membership. I you think that's Mark. Mark. <laughs> Mark mentioned Mark church Spence. membership. <laughs> well, <laughs> we start using his Twitter handle. Name, Anthony. 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 At official Mark Spence mentioned earlier today, <laughs> <laughs> church membership. I think that's incredibly important. And when I say church membership, I don't just mean you go to a class, you sign on a dotted line, and then you never show up again. Like what Mark alluded to, if your pastor gives the inclination that being a member of the church is not you come on Sundays, we entertain you, and then we'll see you next Sunday. Rather, being a member of the church means that you enter into serving and discipleship, that you're willing to be discipled by others and that you're willing to disciple others because ultimately that's what church is. Church is not a building. It is not a moment on Sunday. Church is a family. And if you find a church that is committed 
to faithful discipleship week in and week out, day after day, not just Sunday for 45 minutes to an hour, you're starting to move towards good hands. Oh, it's so good. And you know, membership is not very popular these days. I think it's one of the healthiest things in the church. And I think sometimes some very well-meaning churches, it's it's not this sort of rebellious thing, but it's kind of like, hey, we're the body of Christ. We don't, what's membership for? Someone's gonna sign a piece of paper. And, but the real heart of membership is accountability right. within the church. Like if you have someone within your church and they're up to no good, they're living in sin, how do you call them to account? Oh no, I'm just visiting here. How do you know if you're gonna have someone in the church serve or teach or lead what they believe? They might have certain doctrines you don't know about, but when you're a member, you have made a commitment that you follow the church's statement of faith. You right. agree with it. You're in one accord with it. So there's so many aspects that are that are hugely important. So Ray, you touched on the fear of God. You touched on being evangelistic. Those are other good marks of a church. I think another part would be, I mean, you touched on membership and we talked about expository preaching and servanthood and all that discipleship. But what do you guys think about a leadership that is accountable? 100%. What does that look like? So that's what I want to kind of dive into with you guys. I know our church, all of the elders meet in groups, two or three, I think. They break them up. We have a number of elders on a weekly basis, and they they go through a book together, and they keep each other accountable. Mm -hmm. They hit each other up on where they're at. And I think that is so healthy. I mean, think of all of the men that we know who have fallen we know a number of them personally that we were friends with, right. pastors of mega churches, pastors of, of big Christian ministries that were having massive impact, world famous people, and they've fallen. And more often than not, when you look into their lives, there wasn't healthy accountability. Mm -hmm. Now, look, the fear of the Lord is primary. Ray, you always talk about this. If someone doesn't have the fear of the Lord, they can find a way to sin for sure. But there is an element of accountability that is healthy and helpful right. and that keeps people in check. So what do you guys think about that? Can I just talk about something that's kind of in line with that? Often people will come to me and want counsel. Yeah. And I say, see your pastor. Yeah. Mm. Because I'm going to give cross counsel. They'll come to me and say, Ray, what do you think about my husband's blah, 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 blah. Right. Should I leave him? Oh, maybe. I don't know. She'll go back and tell her pastor that. And suddenly there's cross counsel. So it's very healthy to be part of a local body, to be a membership within a church where you've got accountability to your pastor and elders, yeah. where you get counsel from them. Because they know you. They know their sheep. And they, they know what the sheep need, what they get fed. Yeah. Let me jump on what, what you're talking about, Easy, because I used his name. Oh. At official Easy. <laughs> because you actually don't even need a quote unquote celebrity pastor to still have a celebrity pastor mindset in a local church. This could happen in a church body of 200 people. I've actually seen it before yeah. where the pastor becomes untouchable. Yeah. Where the pastor, I've even heard pastors who have elders Say things like, oh, my elder board never disagrees with me. That Ooh. could be a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. That could be a red flag because it could mean that you have a bunch of yes could men around you. Could be a red you. flag. That is a red flag. <laughs> yeah, you have yes men around you. Your pastor should be known yes. by other men in the church. They should be able to hold them accountable through confession and repentance. Yeah. Yes, pastors are still in the process of being sanctified. And if there's not guys in his church that know him, that know how to pray for him, that know his weaknesses, that have heard him confess and repent, that's a red flag that you have a celebrity pastor Ooh. mindset. It doesn't matter if he has a big social media following or not. If he's untouchable, that's a problem. You know, we talked about this Oscar with a celebrity pastor that has kind of fallen from grace. 
And inside of the elders meeting, one of the elders had said, we have a brand problem. And the pastor said, I am the brand. To which the elder said, that's our problem, Hmm. right? Did he get fired? Uh, Uh, Yeah, eventually. Soon, soon he did. Guys, consider the, the charge to Peter from Christ. When Jesus said to feed my sheep, it's not Peter's sheep. It's not our pastor's sheep. It would be wrong for a pastor to say, these are my sheep. These are my people. In reality, they're Christ's people, Christ's sheep, Christ's followers. And the same charge goes to all pastors today. The pastor is to feed Jesus's sheep. They're not the pastor's sheep. They belong to Christ. So the pastor has a serious responsibility to properly care for the believers that God places under his care. For every pastor will eventually answer to Christ as to how he tended to the true pastor, the true shepherd's flock. He is the shepherd. Uh, you guys John heard of the shepherding movement? Yeah. But before your day, it was like in the 80s. Yeah. 1980s. In the 1880s? The, no, no, 1980s. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. Where the pastor would be, he'd be trained to sit up the front where he could see the flock and he'd keep an eye on them. And if they had a visiting speaker, the people would watch the pastor, see if he'd go yes, no. And when the people leave, he'd look at his sheep and as they go out through the door, they were his sheep in that sense. And it was just quite weird. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Awful. Yeah, and I think it's so true that the modern pastor, I, you know, we would oftentimes look at him as a celebrity pastor, but I would even call him a dictator pastor where nobody oh, yeah. would dare contradict him or call him out on something. I remember one time at our church, Pastor Philip DeCourcy, he had talked to me about teaching somewhere or speaking at something or something like that. And he says, yeah, he says, you know, I'll talk it over with the elders and see what the elders say. And I loved that because it's a demonstration that there is accountability. Yes. It's not a one man show, a guy running everything and he's got a bunch of rubber stamp yes men around him. And I think that that's so, so important to, to see a pastor who himself is under authority and an eldership that are submitted one to another. And as a leadership collectively, they're under the authority of Christ. Yeah, on top of that too, I think Sunday service, another mark of a healthy, good church, Sunday service should be marked with a regular rhythm where the body practices confession and repentance and takes communion together and open God's word together. Because when we read the scriptures, those are the four main signs of a church that meets on a regular basis that does confession, repentance, communion, and opening of God's word. If that's not happening, there could be a problem. And that goes to say like, oh, well, if I show up to a church and the music is loud and good, Look, if, if there's great musicians that are worshiping God to the glory of God, praise the Lord. You mentioned Shane and Shane at a particular place. I just preached this last Sunday and you can look at it from, a, it is a really well-oiled machine, their church. Like the music is beautiful. It's really well done, but the center of the church is still Christ. Yeah. So by no means there's a lot of musicians or really good music. That could be good. That could be done in a way that is glorifying as long as the focus is still on Christ. Yeah, I think it's motive and it's content, right? Yeah, like content. what is your motive? Are you doing this to enlarge your church because you want to enlarge your ego and seem successful? That's a problem. Are you doing this 
because you want your self-centered stuff. And it's just a message you're preaching devoid of truth. Right. There's nothing wrong with having a church that's presentable with a nice atmosphere. And, you know, and, and like you said, music and all of that. It's not like we're stuck in an area. Your church has to look like it's out of the 1700s. Right. <laughs> you know, you gotta, it's about the, the, the motive and the content. Are yeah. you doing this for God's glory? And is God's word the center of it all. And there's nothing wrong with a big church. I love big churches. I yeah. love preaching in big churches yeah. as long as they've got what you said. And there's nothing wrong with your culture seeping through your church as long as it's done in a way that brings God glory. Here's what I mean by that. Because some people will look at a church and go, well, if the pastor's not wearing a suit, it's not a good church. But that's actually a cultural influence. That is a US-based way of looking at things because for most of history, pastors weren't wearing suits. So what matters here is, again, the glory of God. Are they focused on his word and his glory and calling people to repentance and trusting what Jesus has done for them? Yeah. Wow. I think we, we hit that, guys. It's uncool to try to be cool <laughs> for your sake, for your name, and for your glory. But we hope this has encouraged you, friends. We hope that maybe some of you will look and see, wow, our church has issues. First, ask yourself the question, how can I be a part of the solution? It's not about just going, again, you can be a consumer in this regard, and you can detach from the fact that when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. You're part of a church where you're seeing issues, and, and it's trying to be a cool church and not focus on God's glory, not giving the content of the word, and all those other things we talked about. Ask yourself, how can I be a part of the solution? Try your best, pray fast, talk to the leadership humbly. But there may come a point where we realize you have to move on and we'd encourage you to, to find a church where Christ is truly the center of it all. Is that it, guys? That's it. All right. Thanks for joining us, friends. Make sure to go to livingwaters.com, check out the Evidence Bible. It's not a cool Bible. <laughs> if it was, we wouldn't recommend it. But it's got God's truth in it with a lot of, of wonderful resources in it, too, that are going to be a blessing to you, livingwaters.com. Make sure to go and tell us what we can do in order to remain faithful by giving you good content. You can do that at podcast.livingwaters.com. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters Podcast. I didn't want to do my cool voice. Oh, it sounds cool terrible even when you do it normally. <laughs> <laughs> see ya. chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline, California. Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina. Andrea from Anderson, Indiana. Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. Lowell from Yakima, Washington. Don from Charleston, Illinois. John from Ford, Australia. Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Willen Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.